athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Yeah, started out fun. Started out fun. Felt like it could have been the one. Oh, this is my year. Yeah. From the jump, they tried to impeach Trump. Couldn't the first live show of 2021. You're locked into the dopest show on radio, Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware. As we do each and every year when we have our first show, we take a listen back with skills in his in this instance, 2020 wrap-up. I mean, I think he's been doing this for at least 10 years. I know at least 10 years, maybe going back to, to some 13 years or so. But he's always, when he does these year uh, these wrap-up shows, he takes a look at the biggest happenings from the previous year. Obviously, coronavirus dominated 2020. But I'm going to tell you what. 2021 has not started off. We we were so in anticipation of 2021, right? And all that all of the tragedy that happened in 2020 beginning with the passing of Kobe Bryant moving into coronavirus which dominated from March up until now and then all of those that passed away like it seemed like more especially prominent people passed away in 2020 than I can even remember. And a lot of that had nothing. A lot of the passings didn't have a lot to do with the coronavirus necessarily. But I'm going to tell you what, like 2021 has not gotten off to a good start at all. Listen, absolutely appalled at what I saw in our nation's capital at the Capitol building. Like, you know, I worked at the Library of Congress for seven years. I remember there was a time that you could walk underground from the Library of Congress all the way to the U.S. Capitol building. You could do that. They sort of started cracking down on, I think maybe after the the first um, bombings of the Twin Towers, I guess, what was that, the 94 or the mid-90s. I, I, they may have started cracking down on that. I, I don't remember. I'm not 100%. Uh, percent. But then ultimately when... The shootings at the U.S. Capitol happened in 1998 where two U.S. Capitol police officers were killed. I think they totally uh, shut it down then. I mean, breaking of windows. We had one uh, uh, one woman that was shot and killed. Uh, Ultimately, three others died as well. I mean, this was, you know, it was an insurrection is exactly the correct term for what this was. And let's be honest about this. Let's look at the people that we saw that were storming the Capitol building, thinking for some reason like they were going to overthrow the government or something. And by the way, all of those involved 
with the vandalism of the Capitol building and illegally entering the Capitol building, all should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And guess what? That's federal time that they're looking at. All right. So again, unbelievable what we saw. And this is the thing about it. You look at those people. Okay. That were, uh, were insurrectionists. All right. And then you look at and how they were treated. Right. And then you look at those that were protesting after George Floyd. And let's not, you know, we, we can talk about George Floyd. Let's, let's talk about George Floyd and, and those protests. And we really saw where, uh, it was almost like the civil rights movement all over again from the sixties, but let's take it back. Not only to, to going back some months ago, but let's take it back. I mean, those people who looked a certain kind of way were treated differently than those that were protesting not only George Floyd, but let's go back to the 60s and the civil rights movement when we go back uh, to even the likes of a Birmingham, right? Uh, You go back to the likes of a Selma, Alabama, uh, Bloody Sunday. I mean, the, the, and those were, that wasn't insert, that wasn't in, that wasn't insurrection. Okay. That was protest, Right. And I tell you what, I mean, you know, <laughs> you almost, I mean, it, it is, uh, I tell you, it, it, it is enough to really burn you up, to really, you know, really make you mad. And that's just where we are really. And, 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 and the proof isn't the proof is in the pudding now. Right. So, you know, all of those that said, oh, no, it's not like that. And you see exactly. OK, exactly how. Uh, it is. And so I know a lot of people referenced back to uh, 1812 and the war of 1812 and when Britain uh, burned the capital and so on and so forth. But let's not also. And remember, that was that was that was not those were not um, Americans. Right. But let's not forget the only time in American history when there was an overthrow of the government, 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. So, you know, we must remember that as well. I'm not going to, you know, talk. uh, We got a lot to get to today, but I mean, got to address that is very sad. Um, You know, we there are certain numbers uh, that are out there. And one of those numbers is 25. I'm going to let you kind of figure that one out. Listen, let me set the table for you today here on the program got a lot to get to got a lot of guests that are going to be coming up on the program uh we're going to talk some college football we're going to talk some national football league as you know i'm a huge washington football team fan i gotta say this like i'm sitting there watching the game on sunday and the eagles uh, the washington football team wow i mean hadn't scored on an opening drive all year scored a touchdown on the opening drive, and I believe on the very next possession, got the field goal, had the 10 to nothing lead. The Eagles come back, make it 14 to 10. Um, ultimately, the uh, the Washington football team gets another touchdown, led 17 to 14. Then inexplicably, Jalen Hurts comes out of the football game. So after the game was over, and Washington had ultimately won the game, I felt a certain kind of way. Like, I got to be honest with you, like, I didn't feel great about the win I also felt like not even more key to me than 
Doug Peterson pulling Jalen Hurts, and you you know you can look at it a number of different ways. I think what makes more sense is if the Eagles lose that game, then they go from the number uh, number six or the number nine pick to the number six pick, whatever the case may be. But more telling to me was on the fourth down call, fourth and goal from the three down three points that the Eagles decide to go for it and hadn't made it on the first three downs when they had it first in goal. So that was more telling to me than anything else. But I'm going to be honest, like I didn't feel particularly great after the game uh, because I felt like maybe if the Eagles had decided to kick the field goal, makes it 17 to 17, Jalen Hurts had continued to play, could have been a different game. I hate to say that, but that's just how I felt. But as the week has gone on, I feel I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm, you know, I'm 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 glad that the Washington football team is NFC champs and going to the playoffs and uphill battle uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. But guess what? All you need is a chance. That's what the Washington football team has is a chance. I want to talk some college football also today here on from the press box to press row. And I tell you, that's what, listen, you know, I look at, and again, to me this year, and I said this on the program, maybe going back a couple of weeks ago, like I, I felt like the SEC, I mean, it's just been a crazy year. So no conference really was that strong. I mean, it wasn't like the SEC from top to bottom was as strong as it typically is. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, it, to me, and and we've seen where the SEC is. I mean, the SEC matched up well against the ACC in bowl games. Like the ACC is 0-6. Like Kentucky beat NC State. Like that should never have happened, right? But it did happen, okay? And so, wow, the ACC 0-6, Notre Dame and Clemson lose, right? And Ohio State, who everyone said, oh, they haven't played enough games. We should have Texas A&M in the playoff. Or, you know, at one time, let's consider USC, who only had played a handful of games as well, or whoever. Well, Ohio State showed Clemson what time it is, right? And I'm going to tell you what, like, I believe Ohio State has a big-time opportunity, a shot to win the national championship. Like, I believe they have a shot to defeat Alabama in the national championship game. I know it's an uphill climb, but I like what I saw from Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State dominated Clemson. Like, you would have never thought Ohio State would have been able to do domination by Ohio State over Clemson, okay? And Again, you, you talked about, oh, they didn't play this many games. They did, you know, are, are they really that good? They, you know, they they got into the play. Well, it was the right move by the Big Ten for Ohio State to play in the Big Ten championship game, ultimately win that game, and move on to the college football playoff. Good move by the Big Ten. So the Big Ten has put itself in position to have a national champion in Ohio State. It's going to be an uphill battle because Alabama was really, really good too, okay? But all you need is a chance, and I think Ohio State, in fact, has a chance. So we're going to talk some college football. I want to talk about a a couple of things with college football. I mean, had a chance to sit back and and watch 
Cincinnati they had a chance to sit back and watch that game. Cincinnati had all the chances in the world. And I think Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati lost that game, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a blowout or anything. I mean, I think the eight, I mean, when you think about the AAC conference, like it's a conference that's made up of former conference USA schools, a lot of conference USA schools, when conference USA was playing some pretty good football, like there needs to be some kind of different structure with respect to, to the college football playoff. The power five schools obviously are dominating. It's not right. Uh, And so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the program. Still to come here on from the press box to press row, going to catch up with Arkansas Pine Bluff head men's basketball coach, George Ivory. Looking forward to that conversation with George Ivory. On a sad note, if you hadn't heard, Tommy Lasorda, the former manager of the L.A. Dodgers, led the Dodgers to two world championships, passed away uh, earlier today at the age of 93. And, I mean, it, it's it's definitely not only a sad day in baseball, but a sad day in sports. I mean, you talk about one of the great personalities in the history of sports. You're talking about Tommy Lasorda. You know, I, I, I mean, I, you know, he growing, grew up, uh, big baseball fan, Orioles fan, uh, but I remember those '80s with Fernando Valenzuela and you know all of those, uh, you know uh, Earl Hershiser and you know all that pitching um, that the Dodgers had the 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 fantastic, fantastic home run by Kirk Gibson against the A's. I mean, it, it's just wow, and uh, you know it, you you. It's getting older. It's no no question about that. And it's still nonetheless, when you hear it, it's like, wow, Tommy Lasorda. Uh, LA Missed Tommy. any of our shows? How about our interview with top sports right and entertainment figures? Check out Radio fact, Boss, Radio Boss Podcast at uh, radio-boss.com. This past season. So certainly a sad, sad day in the world of sports for one who was just a giant of a personality, transcended really uh, baseball. Again, Tommy Lasorda passing away a little bit earlier at the age of 93. We'll be back. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Many men wish death upon me. Let's talk some college basketball here on From the Press Box to Press Room. We're joined by a gentleman in his 13th season as the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff. 
for the Golden Lions, a home tilt against Alabama State on Saturday. Again, George Ivory in his 13th season as the head coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Happy New Year to you, Coach Ivory. Happy New Year to you. Glad to have me on. Yeah, it's always good. It's been a while. I mean, it's been a little while since we've had you on, uh, but I want to start here because you're coming off, you know, a, a nice win. But, I mean, I, I know you and you've taken this team, you've led the team to a SWAC uh, championship and to an NCAA tournament, and I know you had uh, to be uh, ready quickly to put the 2019-2020 season behind you. Yes, sir. That was a very injury-prone season, and we were really looking forward to getting this new year. And I think the guys have came out and really played great basketball since we started playing and played some really great competition. I think that really inspired the guys to come out and keep working hard every day. Yeah, big win. You had a win against Arkansas State. Uh, the last Your last game was a win against Mississippi Valley State, which is your alma mater. Speak to that one. I mean, that's a 40-point victory in conference play like Generally, in conference play, even if the team is not very good, you you don't generally beat a conference team by 40 points. Well, I thought the guys came out. They paid attention to details on our scouting report, and and they've just been working so hard, and I was just glad to see them get a chance to play a home game uh, through the year. And I guess they were very excited to be at home as well. Uh, you know, we, we know we got some more things to work on, but I was very pleased to see those guys. They're very athletic and a great group of guys to coach. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you're going to have three straight home games when you look at Valley uh, the other day, and then you look at Alabama State, and then another home tilt, which we'll talk more about that um, as well. What was the key? Like, I mean, if you know, if you look at the the 40 points, but obviously, you you know, Sean Doss Jr. was big for you. 23 points, 13 rebounds uh, in the win over Mississippi Valley State. Can you speak to his play in the victory? Uh, Sean Dawson is a guy that, you know, came in, coming off that injury from last year. Uh, very excited about this basketball season. They've been putting in tremendous work to get uh, ready for this season. And he's a guy that we depended on to give us some uh, scoring and as well as rebounding. And his leadership has is, is, is really been great this year. You know, for you, I mean, it's, it's a big win, right? Because, you, you know, you needed – you sort of needed a win right there. You lost a couple of games – uh, in a row, as a matter of fact, three. Uh, speak to them, but you were playing some big-time competition. I mean, Baylor's number two in the country right now, North Texas, Tulane. You know, speak to how not how big that win was, not only because it was a conference win, but because it ended a three-game losing streak. Yeah, it was a big victory for us because, like I said, three-game losing streak, and then you start the New York in conference, and then, you know, I just think the guys uh, – was just, like I said, really ready to get home to play a, a game or two, you know, because been on that road, like we first started off the first beginning of the year, we was out, we were gone for 15 straight days. And and I think it took its toll on the young men, and, and we were just glad to get back home and, and continue to get better. George Ivory is the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff. He joins us here. On from the press box to press room. I mean, you you spoke to it. I mean, you you know you talk about opening the season up at Marquette, Wisconsin, number seven at the time. You're playing Iowa State. You're at Northwestern. You're at St. Louis. All of those tough games. All of those losses. And similar 
to that three-game losing streak prior to the Mississippi Valley State uh, victory, you were able to beat Arkansas State in snapping a the five-game losing streak to talk to uh, start the season. Talk about that victory over Arkansas State, an in-state rival, and what that victory meant. Well, that, that meant a lot to our program to, to get that in-state victory against Arkansas State, and I think the guys was really, really motivated. Uh, knowing that's an in-state rivalry. And then we got some guys from that area, like Dawson's really from that area. So he was really motivated, really good. And so, you know, it was a big victory for our program. Yeah, with that, I mean, talk about because you had the lead, you know, in the first half and they come back to score in the second half, nip and tuck affair down the stretch. Uh, ultimately, you win the game on uh, Joshua Johnson's Free throw with the game tied at seventy four apiece. He makes one free throw. You win the ball game. Yes, sir. Uh, it was a foul at the end, and, and, and Joshua Johnson, the guy that we depend on a lot too, for as a point guard, he's a great little player for us. And walked up to the line, and he made the free throw. But it was a great game, you know, both ways. Like I said, we led early, then they came back, and, and it was a tough game all the way through the end. And, and I think the guys just were just kind of. Like I said, that rivalry makes a difference. George Ivory's the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff, joins us here on the program. How has COVID affected you? Like, have you been directly affected, you know, by COVID? Have you had to reschedule some games? I mean, it seems like almost every team in the country has had to do so. No, sir. We we had we've been blessed, and you know that we haven't uh, had to reschedule any games, and you know we just thank God for that and. You know, and I think our leadership, like I said, Sean Dawson's been a tremendous leader, you know, on and off the court. You know, he he, he constantly drills that in the dorm with the guys about being safe, wearing your mask, and, and and try to stay in safe place. Don't just think about yourself. Think about your teammate. Yeah, no question about it. you got to have a leader, you know, on your team like that. Let's talk a little bit more uh, about Sean Dawson. Uh, you, you mentioned his leadership, certainly. I mean, that that – you know, goes without question. But then he also, uh, with re- in in addition to the leadership, I mean, he's leading you in scoring uh, as well. He's had, you know, he's had some 20-point outputs. You know, talk about that. He's averaging right now 17.4 points per game. Yeah, you know, and, and that's what we expect from Dawson to be, to be that kind of score. But like I said, leadership is so good, and the guys have really accepted his leadership uh Role and you know, like I said, when he the guy can give you twenty points and and I think he see what he could do when he played against Baylor. He had a good game against Baylor, and you know, he just come off Swag Player of the Week this week. Uh, you know, then I was really pleased. Uh, we were doing registration and he's gonna graduate in May. You know, so I'm very pleased and happy with him. They just show you what kind of kid he is, a great young man. Yeah, and what about talk about his progression in your program? This is what his third year in the program, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And how he's progressed over those three years? Well, you know, when he first came in. Uh, he came in and his sophomore year, he, he played along with another great player we had named Latavius McKnight, and he, he learned from McKnight a lot of good things about leadership, and and you could see the difference. His growth every year getting better, and even last when he got hurt. He was selling the bench and still toolish the kids and talk to them about how they playing in the game and certain things they need to do. You could tell he was going to be a great leader. George Ivory, again, is the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff. He joins us here 
on the program. What about this game against Alabama State on Saturday? As a matter of fact, I mean, I don't know if he's going to coach in the game. Uh, Mo Williams, you got, I mean, you know, you guys are both Mara High School alum, right? So, you know, how much yes. forward are you looking uh, to this game, and what are some of the challenges that the Hornets present? Well, uh, I'm looking forward to the game because, like I said, me and Mo go way back, same high school, you know, so I'm looking forward to the game. And when you look at uh, – I think Mo's going to do a great job as a coach, you know, and I think his team has just shown how hard they're going to come out and play. Uh, the Hornets really play hard. I mean, they really get after you. And, and we know and we've been talking about how hard they're going to be for a victory this weekend. So we, we, we just got to come in and be ready to play. How does this team differ from last year's team? Well, like last year we had so many injuries. We had Dawes, we missed Nick Jones, we missed uh, Robert Boyd, and then every then every other game somebody was out. So it, it was a tough season for us last year, you know. Uh, so we had to go out and bring in some good pieces to go along with what with Dawes and them three guys coming back. So we think we did that with Joshua Johnson. Uh, when we ranked in the Mullins as one of the top 100 golf players in the country, Juco, and we brought in Jalen Lynn, which uh, was a third-team Juco All-American Division two. So we thought we hit some good pieces to go along with what we already had. And then lastly, we appreciate the time, Coach Ivory. How important – I mean, obviously you want to get the victory. It's super important. You always, you know, want to get wins. But can you speak to being at home? In all of the COVID – uh, 19 and all of the situations, I mean, you have an opportunity. I mean, you're going to take it one game at a time. I get it. But you have an opportunity to go 2-0 and uh, at home with another opportunity uh, on Monday against Alabama A&M. Speak to how, even though you may not have fans, and it, I don't know if you're having fans or it's not going to be, it's going to be limited fans. The fact of the matter is you get yes, in a sir. bit of a routine because you're at home. Yes, sir. We, 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 we're fortunate to be at home. And like you said, you know, we've got to take advantage of the situation because, you know, you have to go on the road pretty soon. And, and this game is very important. We're taking it one game at a time. But it's a very important game to get this victory at home before we hit the road. George Ivory again in his 13th season as the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff as the Golden Lions again a home tilt on Saturday as Alabama State comes to Pine Bluff, H.O. Clemens Arena. Again, George Ivory, the head men's basketball coach of the Golden Lions, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach, uh, it's great to catch up with you. It's been a while. Continued success to you and the Golden Lions. Yes, sir, and we're glad to be here, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. So George Ivory's got that leadership in Doss, and I'll tell you, I mean, he mentioned Martavius McKnight like Martavius McKnight was a beast. Of, I think he was a two-time Box to Row All-American. As a matter of fact, may have been Box to Row National Player of the Year, Division One National Player of the Year. I mean, this young man could really fill it up, had an opportunity to make a G League team, didn't, but he's now playing overseas and making um, some money overseas. So I don't know if this is the year. It's been a while since Arkansas Pine Bluff has won a championship. So we'll see if this is going to be the year. And speaking of Marah, I, I mentioned the fact that Mo Williams is a Marah gra- uh, graduate. Also, 
Mississippi Valley State's head men's basketball coach. Of course, Lindsey Hunter won two NBA championships in the NBA, played at Jackson State, also a Mora High School graduate. I mean, you look at these those three players. I mean, obviously, George Ivory is older than both of them, and then in the middle is Lindsey Hunter, and then came uh, Mo Williams. Well, that's interesting. So <laughs> you look at George Ivory, he's going to be looking to beat another Mara graduate on Saturday as Alabama State comes to Arkansas Pine Bluff. Still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Thank you again for making From the Press Box to Press Row a part of your day. Going to kind of run down where we are with respect to the standings in the SWAC and the MEAC where Hampton and Tennessee State are in men's basketball. And I still also want to talk with you, and I want to get your thoughts about this. Does there need to be a subdivision within the FBS ranks? Talked a lot about Cincinnati and what it did. Uh, Had an opportunity against Georgia. Again, Georgia was one of those teams that was talked about early on before its two losses for perhaps a spot in the national championship game. Ultimately didn't get it done, but got obviously a New Year's bowl game and Cincinnati just could not overcome Georgia had opportunities to win. But again, as I mentioned, Cincinnati showed great. So with that, will non-Power 5 schools get an opportunity to play for the national championship ever? Does expansion mean anything in other words I think if we're talking about expansion I think what's been put on the table for more immediately would be expanding to an eight uh, team playoff does that help Um, and again does there I mean I, I realize you know it's FBS but at the end of the day all FBS programs are not getting the opportunity to play for the national championship whatever the case may be uh Listen, you know, that's a conversation that we're going to have. I'm going to have some more thoughts about that on the other side. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here. Right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio right here on Sirius XM. Before we talk some college football here on the program, Let's look at the Box to Row National Players of the Week. We begin on the men's side with Hampton's guard, Davion Warren, who had a really good week, as a matter of fact, in two games for Hampton. Averaged 27 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. He made 20 of 37 field goals, which is 54% in two games. As the Pirates last week faced Gardner-Webb, they won one against Gardner-Webb and lost one in the victory. He had 31 points on 11 of 20 shooting, six rebounds, and two steals in the game. As a matter of fact, that 31 points was the most points by any player in the Big South Conference so far this year on the ladies side Jackson State forward Amisha Williams had 14 points pulled down 18 rebounds in the Lady Tigers 64 to 56 victory over Alabama A&M and for Amisha Williams 
It was her third double-double of the season. Davion Warren, Amisha Williams, the Botch Tarot National Players of the Week. Also want to get you caught up in terms of where we are in the standings with respect to the SWAC, the MEAC, the OVC uh, with Tennessee State, and then uh, or the Big South with Hampton. Let's take a look at the SWAC first and foremost. Grambling has a 3-5 and five record, 1-0 and oh in conference play. Arkansas Pine Bluff is 2-8, and 1-0 and oh in conference play. Jackson State 1-5 and 1-0 and oh in conference play. Alabama A&M has played just two games, is 2-0 and oh on the season, no conference games. To this point, Texas Southern is 2-5, and five. again, no conference games. Prairie View A&M 1-4, no conference games. Southern 0-4, no conference games. Alcorn State is 0-5, no conference games. And Mississippi, well, Mississippi Valley State is 0-9 and 0-1 in the conference. And so far, Alabama State is 0-2 and 0-2 in the conference. Had a chance to watch Alabama or Alabama State, that is, play uh, on ESPNU last uh, on Monday in the loss to Jackson State. Looking at on the men's side, Coppin State in the Northern Division, 3-8 on the season, 2-0 in conference play. Morgan State is 4-2, no conference games as of yet. Norfolk State is 4-3, no conference games as of yet. Howard 1-4, no conference games as of yet. And then Delaware State is 0-7 and 0-2 in conference play. In the Southern Division, A&T 5-9, 2-0 in the conference. North Carolina Central 1-3, no conference games. Florida A&M, 1-6, no conference games as of yet. And South Carolina State is 0-12 on the season, 0-2 in conference play. Tennessee State off to a slow start in the OVC, 1-6, 0-4 in conference play. And Hamptons had some nice wins but couldn't get over Radford in back-to-back games. Again, their game also, the Pirates game also, was on ESPNU. On Monday, the Pirates lost uh, to Radford, but uh, four and seven on the season. Again, had a nice win over George Washington earlier, where we had uh, Buck Joyner on the program back in the early part of December. The Pirates also three and three in Big South play. So let's talk some college football playoff here on the program. And I mean, again, I. You know, and I talked about it a little, alluded to it a little bit earlier. Cincinnati out of the AAC, like represented the AAC well, represented itself well. And with the Power Five conference, I mean, obviously it's all about the money. The Power Five conferences have the money. They have the big TV deals. Uh, you know, I think the AAC has a television deal and some of the other conferences uh, do. Seem like the AAC had a deal with the NFL Network um, or, or something like that, maybe going back a couple of years ago. Maybe I'm mistaken about that. But, I mean, it's all about the money. And with that, the Power Five conferences are able to shut out the other schools. And I was talking about this last month. Like, is it time to have a subdivision within the FBS structure where you also can have a national championship that can be played for. Because at the end of the day, I mean, even if you go back to the BCS era, like, you know, 
Boise State made a little bit of noise, and Boise State played, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in a BC, not a not the national championship, but obviously in a BCS bowl game. I mean, if you're going back some years ago during the BCS era, I'm not, I can't remember if there was another school that was outside of the big boys, if you will, uh, because even the Big East, like if you look at the Big East, uh, even when Louisville and West Virginia were in the Big East, like it seemed like one year West Virginia was like one game away in the Big East from possibly playing, one win away from possibly playing in the national championship game and just couldn't quite get over the hump. I think Rich Rodriguez was the coach you know, certainly at that time. But uh, the Big East is no longer. The ACC went out and recruited a lot of the Big East schools, and the Big East, in, at least in football, went away and then ultimately was able to form back as a basketball and very formidable a basketball conference uh, as, as, as it is. But, I mean, all of the Power Five schools, it's all about the money. Nobody else can get into the top four slots. Even if you open up, think if you expand the play. I mean, I think that's good, but but really, even if you looked at the expansion piece and you looked at the final CFP rankings, only Cincinnati, Cincinnati was the only school that was a power five school that was not part of the rankings. Now, I think if BYU beats Coastal Carolina, perhaps BYU is part of those rankings. I mean, I thought even though Coastal Carolina lost in that bowl game to Liberty, and of course that was a game where uh, Liberty and Coastal were supposed to play for the conference championship. Liberty uh, had the uh, COVID outbreak, and they ultimately played in the bowl game. It was a great bowl game, but I believed – that Coastal Carolina showed it showed its wares over the course of the season and did an absolutely tremendous job. I thought that maybe Coastal Carolina should have been part of the conversation in terms of um, a New Year's a New Year's bowl game, right? And they weren't. And I think Coastal Carolina and that, that final CFP ranking was like number 12. You know, and it's just unfortunate, I think, um, because in that room, I mean, you have a lot of uh, diversity, if you will, in the room. You have different, you know, you have, you know, uh, ADs and so on and so forth from various conferences. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's they're never going. Expansion may help. Right. Expansion. You know, Cincinnati, if we had had an 18 playoff then Cincinnati would have been part of that playoff. And I think Cincinnati did a tremendous job. I mean, had a 10-point lead and couldn't hold on to that lead and ultimately lost that game. But no shame. Cincinnati played well. It's a game that Cincinnati could have won. Um, But perhaps it's time for a subdivision. Like, we already have a Division I subdivision. We call it FCS. But perhaps there's time to have a subdivision within the FBS where other other conferences, other schools are able to participate in a type of national championship game. I mean, I think I mean I think you could, you know, you could I mean because the other thing is you may have a situation and Boise State really faced this in the BCS era where you're going to have those bigger conferences they're not even going to play you 
They're not even going to play you in those games to start the season, those so-called money games. They're not even going to play you in those. Um, ultimately, a lot of times, I mean, because they're both FBS opponents, it should be a situation where you have a home and home where the generally speaking, the big, uh, you know, especially, well, certainly in the SEC, Big Ten, you know, Big 12, even Pac-12, and, man, and then, of course, the ACSC, and especially when you're talking about, you know, the teams like a Clemson or even a Miami who, you know, had a solid season, or even a North Carolina who's on the rise, right? They're not going to play, uh, you know, you know, North Carolina's not going to go to App State and play. Like, that's not going to happen. And uh, so generally that's going to be some kind of payout to, an, you know, in that case, to an App State. Um but, you know, they're, they're, you're going to see a lot of those schools, they're not going to play those games because, A, there's a risk in possibly losing those games, and, B, they want to keep the non-Power 5 schools out of the conversation with respect to the college football playoff. And I think it's an absolute uh, travesty. I, you know, again, as I mentioned, I referenced Boise State. I mean, Boise State played some tough teams, and there were some teams that played Boise State. Um, but ultimately speaking, I mean, it was just few and far between for a Boise State to ultimately be able to get into that conversation in terms of playing for the national championship. And, there, you know, I think that is, I mean, obviously it is very unfortunate. Um, but, you know, it, it unfortunately is what it is. So maybe it's time for those non-Power 5 schools, and I think the AAC is like right there with the likes of some of the ACC programs, can beat some of the ACC programs, you know, pretty pretty, pretty steadily, I think, um, and can beat some of the other programs um, as well, especially when you're talking about the upper-level programs. You go back to UCF a couple of years ago who had an undefeated season. You know, you go back to Houston a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, you you generally are going to have an AAC team that's going to at least have one team that's going to be in the running for the conversation for the national championship. And unfortunately, the AAC and other FBS non-Power 5 conferences are squeezed out of the conversation. Your thoughts? Is it time for a maybe a subdivision of the FBS where the some of the non-Power 5 schools can play for a national championship. Hit me up on Twitter at box to row or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. We got another segment of From the Press Box to Press Row on the other side, and you've got us locked in on ESPNU Radio. On Sirius XM. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row Podcast at BoxToRow.com or on Apple Podcasts. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, 
Log on to their website at HarlemBeerNC.com. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. Okay, KK. You're back with us here on the program. If you want to talk about anything that we've talked about to this point, of course, George Ivory, the head men's basketball coach at Arkansas Pine Bluff, joined us a little bit early on in the program. We talked, I talked a lot about the college football playoff and what it meant to the teams from the non-Power 5 conferences. How does that look moving forward? What do the Power 5 or the, the teams from the non-Power 5 conferences need to do in order to be able to play in a national championship game? Obviously, we've seen where, I mean, even in, when you look at uh, where we've been with respect to the college football playoff. No non-Power 5 team uh, has been in. Again, when you go back to the BCS era, you know, you've had your Boise States of the world, et cetera, et cetera, but that's just not going to happen, particularly when you're talking about a four-team playoff. And it, listen, man, I, I get it, right? Like, I, I get it. Um, uh, generally speaking, your Power 5, I mean, especially when you're talking about the top four teams. That's why there definitely needs to be some kind of expansion. And I think, you know, ultimately beyond an eight-team playoff. Because, again, I mean, you can talk about some of the lower-tier FBS conferences all you want. We can talk about them, and and some of those conferences may not be that deserving, although I think a, you know, a Coastal Carolina uh, – I'm not saying Coastal Carolina in a – should have been one of the four teams. I'm not saying that. But in but if there was an eight team playoff, they they could have been considered uh, for that. And, and furthermore, I think they should have been considered for a New Year's Day bowl game. I mean, yeah, they lost to Liberty, but that I mean, even though it was a bowl game, it was a conference opponent, which should have amounted to the conference championship game, which Liberty, which had to be postponed because Liberty didn't have uh, enough players. I get it, you know. But when I'm looking at again, I'm going to reiterate. When I'm looking at that AAC conference and I'm looking at former, you know, a lot of former Conference USA uh, opponents when Conference USA was was very much in the conversation uh, of teams uh, that could play uh, in a BCS national championship game. You know, I'm looking at Cincinnati and what Cincinnati. The only thing you can do is play the schedule in front of you and I think that there needs to be, I mean, with the college football playoff overall, there there needs to be, I think, a mandate, whereas some of these bigger programs should be, you know, mandated to play some of the teams. Maybe we need to have sort of a, I'm not going to say a, you can't have a playoff prior to the start, but when we're having all of these so, these money games and all of these teams, they play, you know, I get it. Conference is hard enough, especially when you're talking about a conference like an SEC or you're talking about a conference uh, like a Big 12, et cetera, you know, uh, the Big 10, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you're going to have a situation where you want to play games that are going to get you ready for conference because conference is tough, is tough enough. But if we're talking about a college football playoff that's supposed to be inclusive of all of the FBS programs, then why don't we have – a mandate that these power, because the power five schools 
or the Power Five conferences have separated themselves anyway. It's what they do. I mean, <laughs> look at basketball. It's supposed to be all Division One basketball, but unless you're a quote-unquote Power Five school, now you're quote-unquote a mid-major. The, the bigger schools are always going to separate themselves. And, you know, we can have a conversation for another day. Maybe the, the Power Five needs to separate from the NCAA as a whole. I mean, that's a conversation for another day. But there should be some kind of mandate that some of these teams, based upon what the teams did the previous year, because that's the only thing you can go by. So a Cincinnati, for instance, uh, you know, should it should be a mandate that uh, – you know, an, uh, an Alabama or, you know, a, well, really, I mean, Alabama, a Clemson. I mean, the, the, the two schools are in the state of South Carolina. Should be a mandate that those two teams play. Now, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, if we're looking at this thing, uh, I mean, I, I, I get it. Clemson's probably going to roll over them, but you got to play the game. I mean, I think a more realistic uh, scenario would be a Cincinnati, right? Because a Cincinnati uh, out of the AAC, which is like that, Sort of like if you have a power five plus one, well, the AAC is that plus one. Maybe a Cincinnati plays, you know, an Ohio State or something like that where, and because Cincinnati showed that it could hold its own. And based upon what happened in the previous year, maybe there should be some kind of mandate because if you're going to have a situation where all of the teams in the FBS are supposed to be eligible, they're supposed to be, it's, it's, it's name only like if they're supposed to be eligible to play in the college football playoff, but yet the power five programs are keeping them out in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, also the, um, the college football playoff um, committee. That's got to change. You know, there are some teams that have a legitimate shot. Go back to UCF, a couple of years ago, didn't UCF, I mean, UCF went undefeated. So that means in their bowl game, I forget who they played, but I mean, they probably played a, a new year's bowl game. I'm thinking because they were like what top 15 for sure. And maybe they didn't, but they would have beaten whoever. And I don't have it in front of me, whoever that opponent was. And it more than likely would have been a school from the power five. Something's got to be done so that, the schools that are deserving from FBS, the Cincinnati's of the world. I'm speaking about this year, more specifically going back a couple of years ago, the UCFs, the Houston's of the world should be able to be part of this conversation to be part of the national uh, championship or the college football playoff. And I think you can also um, not only a, 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 a mandate to start the season, Okay, but also an expansion. And I think that would definitely help. If you had an expansion, you know, I, I, I think it would have helped. Like Cincinnati was eighth, I think. They, they were like eighth. So there's barely, they would have barely gotten in and they would have found a way for them not to have, meaning Cincinnati, have, for them not to have gotten in, for someone else to have gotten in, for a Cincinnati to be leapfrogged. And I think, you know, when we see these every year, when we see, a Cincinnati and what a Cincinnati did. We can talk about COVID in the shortened season and, 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 and whatever. I mean, Cincinnati played the schedule before it, uh, played the requisite games. As a matter of fact, no knock on Ohio State. Hey, Ohio State, you know, the Big Ten had some issues early, early on. But I mean, maybe the Big Ten should have been penalized for that. Again, that's, that's again, all of that power five 
talk and you know looking out for the power five schools maybe the power maybe the big 10 should have been penalized for making the decision um which i thought at at the time and in the beginning and still think was the right decision not to play and then ultimately decides to come back and play ohio state doesn't have the requisite games and ultimately is enabled to get in. And, and again, no knock on Ohio State. Ohio State did what it needed to do under the circumstances and deserves to be um, where it is. But I think Cincinnati certainly, I mean, again, not in the top four. That's not what I'm saying. But I am advocating for some kind of expansion, uh, either some kind of expansion that will allow for um the FBS is to uh, all of the FBS is to be part of the college football playoff or perhaps some of the non power five schools um, uh, conferences may need to have some kind of its own national championship, a subdivision within uh, FBS. Those are my thoughts, because, again, the way things are set up now, Cincinnati, uh, UCF, you know, uh, Houston would never get into the college football playoff i gotta get ready to run but i'm gonna take your con i'm gonna take this conversation offline you can hit me up via twitter on my personal twitter account at dware one or on our email or our twitter account at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w uh or on facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w thank you to george ivory the headman's basketball coach at arkansas pine bluff for joining us today here on from the press box to press row for more information we've got great content great interviews etc log on to our website at box and always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by dw communications time for this show to drop the lid that'll do it for this week's from the press box to press row with donald ware join us again next week for an in-depth look at historically black college athletics and the biggest news stories of the day 